this episode covers everything in the magnets topic for the paper 2 Edexcel physics exam. Let's take a look at some magnets basics. What materials will attract and stick to a magnet? There are only three pure magnetic metals. Those are iron, cobalt and nickel. So if it's not made of one of those three things, it will not attract to a magnet. However, some alloys can attract to magnets because alloys are made up of a mixture and if they have iron, nickel or cobalt in that mixture, then they will also attract and stick to a magnet. Now, magnets have a north pole and they have a south pole. And that north and south pole, if they're brought next to another magnet, they can behave differently depending on what poles are facing each other. So if we put a north pole and a south pole next to each other, they will attract because opposite poles attract. If we put two like poles next to each other, like a south and a south, or a north and a north, they will repel. They will repel because like poles repel. Now, magnetism is a non-contact force. The magnets do not have to be touching for the effect to be felt. We have temporary magnets and we have permanent magnets. So permanent magnets are made out of magnetically hard materials. And an example of a permanent magnet is a fridge magnet. They can't be turned on and off. They will always be magnetic. However, they can become weaker over time. Temporary magnets are not always magnetic. You can turn them on and off. An example of a temporary magnet is a crane that moves cars in a scrapyard. Now, temporary magnets are usually made of magnetically soft materials. So this is our basics of magnets. Let's take a look at what an induced magnet is. Let's take a paper clip as an example. A paper clip is not a magnet. It is just a magnetic metal that can attract to a magnet. Now that paper clip, if we placed it in a magnetic field, so if we put it in the magnetic field of a magnet, the paper clip itself will become a magnet and other paper clips can attract to that paper clip. We say the paper clip is an induced magnet. So an induced magnet is any metal, magnetic metal, that is able to become a magnet when it's in another magnetic field. Now this induced magnetism is temporary and we can prove that by taking the magnet away and that means the paperclip will no longer be magnetic and the paperclips will fall apart. 
let's take a look at magnetic fields. Now, magnetism is called a non-contact force. And that is because magnets don't have to be touching for the effect to be felt. And that is because magnets have a magnetic field around them. The magnetic field around them is where the magnetic force is. These magnetic field lines always come out of the North Pole and go around into the South Pole. So when we draw a magnetic field, we always have to have the arrows pointing north to south. Now, if you have two magnets next to each other, and we have a North Pole and a South Pole next to each other, the North Pole and the South Pole, we know, attract, because opposites attract. Now, if we think about this in terms of magnetic, magnetic field lines, the magnetic field lines come out of the north of one magnet and will go into the south of another magnet. And that is why they attract together. So the field lines go from one magnet into the other. Now, if we put two like poles next to each other, two north poles, those two north poles have magnetic fields coming out of them and they repel from each other and the magnetic field lines will not cross over and that is why they repel. Now, magnets are stronger when their field lines are closer together. So the closer together the field lines are, the stronger the magnet. Now we can prove that these magnetic field lines exist even though we can't see them and we can do this two ways. The first way is we can use iron filings. If we put a magnet on a piece of paper and sprinkle iron filings over it, the iron filings line up on the magnetic field. And we can see where these magnetic field lines are. However, this does not tell us the direction of the field lines, it just shows us where they are. So another method is using a small compass. A compass can be placed on the North Pole, marked where the uh, compass pointer is pointing, picked up and moved to that point, mark a point again and keep moving it round and it will guide you into the South Pole. If we join these up, it shows us where the field line is. We can do it numerous times to have lots of lines on our diagram. Now, the compass is better than the iron filings because it also shows us the direction of the magnetic field. It shows us coming out of the north and into the south because the compass will be pointing that way. So just to recap, magnetic fields are around the magnet. The closer they are, the stronger it is. And we can prove these magnetic field lines exist using iron filings or a compass. Let's take a look at current carrying wires and solenoids. If we have a straight piece of wire and we allow current to flow through that wire, it actually generates a magnetic field around that wire. And this is a circular magnetic field. 
The magnetic field around this straight piece of current carrying wire is in concentric circles. And we can use the right hand rule to allow us to work out which direction this magnetic field is. So when we draw the concentric circles around the straight piece of wire, we can use the right hand rule to work out which direction we will put the arrows on that circle, therefore which direction the magnetic field is going. So the right hand rule, we would hold our pen or pencil as if it's the wire. So we hover our pen and pencil over the wire in the same direction as the wire and we grip that pen or pencil with our hand making sure our thumb is pointing in the direction the current is flowing through that wire. So if the current is flowing through the wire up, you would grip it so your thumb's pointing up. If the current's flowing down through the wire, you grip it so your thumb is pointing down. And the way your fingers are pointing, that's your answer. That's the direction the magnetic field will be in. Now this straight piece of wire with a magnetic field around it, if we took that straight piece of wire and we wrapped it up into coils, that is now called a solenoid. And a solenoid um, will have a magnetic field around it in a similar shape to a normal bar magnet. So the magnets that we use in the lab with the north and the south, the, the magnetic field around the solenoid will be a similar shape to that. Now inside of those coils, inside of the solenoid, it is a strong and uniform magnetic field. The reason for that is because the magnetic field caused by each coil adds together inside making it stronger. So we have a really strong magnetic field inside a solenoid because each magnetic field from each individual coil is adding together. However, outside, the small magnetic fields cancel each other out. So around the outside of a solenoid, it is a lot weaker. So just to recap, a straight piece of wire that has current flown through it will have a magnetic field in circular, um, in circles around it. And we can work out this direction of the magnetic field using the right hand rule. If we then take that straight piece of wire and coil it up, we call it a solenoid. And inside the solenoid, it's very strong magnetic field, but outside the solenoid, it is a weak magnetic field. Let's take a look at electromagnets. An electromagnet involves a coil of wire that has current flowing through it. And that coil of wire will be wrapped around an iron core. And when the current flows through this wire that is wrapped around the iron core, it generates a magnetic field around it and therefore it becomes magnetic. And that's why we call it an electromagnet. Now, electromagnets 
we could test how strong it is in the lab by seeing how many paper clips it could pick up. So we could test a number of variables. We could test, for example, if the amount of coils around the iron core changes the strength of that electromagnet. So you could start off with, say, five coils and you could see how many paper clips it would pick up and then wrap five more around so you have ten coils and see how many paper clips it picks up. And keep doing this till, say, maybe 30 coils and you will be able to see if it's stronger because it will pick up more paper clips. Now, if you're doing this experiment, you will need to have some control variables. And if it's the amount of coils you are changing, the main control variable will be to keep the same amount of current flowing through the wire. Now, electromagnets can be used in a number of places, in the school bell, in a scrapyard. Sometimes security gates have them. Because what's good about an electromagnet is you can turn it on and off. Whereas a normal permanent magnet, you can't. So electromagnets have a switch on them and you can turn that on and off. So in the scrapyard example, that's great because you can turn it on and the car will stick to the magnet and then you can move it. And when you want the um, car to be released, you turn it off. Now, if we want to make an electromagnet stronger, we could have more current flowing through that wire. You could also see a higher voltage. We could also have more coils of wire and we could also have a larger iron core. All of those would help make that electromagnet be stronger. Let's take a look at electromagnetic induction. Now, electromagnetic induction is making electricity using magnets. Now, if we take a coil of wire and a magnet and we move that magnet in the middle of the coil of wire, it will induce a voltage, which in turn allows current to flow. So simply putting a magnet, as long as it's moving in the coil, it will produce electricity. Or you can have the magnet still, have a north pole on one side, a south pole on the other, keep those still. And if you take a coil of wire and make that coil of wire spin inside of the magnetic field, you will also induce a voltage and produce electricity. Now, the coil of wire inside of the magnetic field is like what we have in a power station. So in a power station, you will have coal being burnt. The heat from that will heat up the water. It will evaporate the water and turn into steam. The steam then moves through the turbine, spinning the turbine, and it is the turbine that's connected to the coil of wire. And when the turbine spins, the coil of wire spins. 
Now, as the coil of wire is spinning, it is cutting through the magnetic field between the north and the south pole, and that's what induces a voltage and allows current to flow. So both of these methods produce electricity. You just either need to have the magnet still with the coil spinning or keep the coil spin uh, still with the magnet moving in and out. Now, if we want to make more electricity, if we want to induce a bigger voltage, then there's a few things we can do. We can either spin the wire faster or move the magnet faster, depending on what method you're using. So move it faster. You can have a stronger magnet. Do not say bigger magnet. A bigger magnet doesn't necessarily mean strong. So a stronger magnet will induce more voltage. You can also have more coils of wire. More coils of wire will allow more electricity to be produced. So that is electromagnetic induction, producing electricity using magnets by either having a spinning coil of wire inside a magnetic field or a coil of wire with a magnet moving in and out. Now, if at any point the magnet is still or the coil of wire is still, it will not produce any electricity at all. It has to be moving. Let's take a look at transformers. Now transformers has both foundation and higher content. I am just going to go through the foundation content first. So a transformer, its job is to change the voltage of the electricity. Now we have two types of transformers. We have step up transformers and we have step-down transformers. So, the clue's in the name. If it's to change the voltage, well, a step-up must increase the voltage, and a step-down must decrease the voltage. Now, in a power station, when we make electricity, when we generate electricity, that electricity, before it goes across the national grid, the voltage of it needs to be increased. So after the electricity has been made, being generated in the power station, it goes to a step-up transformer. And it increases the voltage. And it does that so that less heat is lost in the overhead power lines in the national grid. So the step-up transformer increases the voltage to reduce the amount of heat loss and therefore making it more efficient. Now it increases this to 400,000 volts. So when it gets to the place it needs to be, it can't go straight to homes or factories or schools because it's very high voltage and it's dangerous. So it will first go to a step down transformer, which will reduce the voltage, making it safe for use in the home. Now we need to know what that voltage is. Our homes use 230 volts. So the step down transformer 
reduces it to 230 volts. And we call this sometimes the mains electricity. So anytime you hear the word mains electricity, we know that that must be 230 volts. Now we do have transformers not um, in a power station, but elsewhere. So we have them in the power station, but we have them other places too, such as phone chargers. So if you think a phone charger is plugged into the wall and the wall is 230 volts, that's the mains electricity. But the battery in your mobile phone doesn't, isn't 230 volts. So when you're charging your phone, your phone charger has a step-down transformer in it to reduce the voltage to the voltage that is needed in your battery. So we do use them in everyday life as well as in the power station. So just to recap, transformers change the voltage, step up, increase the voltage, step down, decrease the voltage. In a power station, we use a step up to reduce heat loss and a step down to make it then safe. The rest of this episode is higher content only. Let's take a look at the motor effect and the left hand rule. Now we know if we have a straight wire that has current flowing through it, that creates a magnetic field in concentric circles around the wire. Now, if we take that wire and place that straight piece of wire in between a north and a south pole, the magnetic field from the wire will interact with the magnetic field from the magnets. And these two magnetic fields interacting cause a force on the wire and it makes the wire move. The greatest force will be experienced when that wire is placed directly at right angles to the field between the North and the South Pole. Now we can actually work out which way the wire will move. Therefore, Basically, that means we're working out which way the force is going. And we can do this using Fleming's left-hand rule. As it suggests in the name, we have to use our left hand. We get our hand in position with our first finger and our thumb pointing as if it's a gun. And then our second finger, our middle finger, needs to point out so it's at a right angle to our first finger. Now, the three fingers we're using, the thumb, the first finger and the second finger, all stand for something different. So the first finger, f-f-f-f-first finger, stands for f-f-f-f-field. So that first finger always needs to point in the direction of the magnetic field between the North and the South Pole. So your first finger should always point North to South. The second finger stands for the current. Second finger current. 
So you position your hand so your first finger is pointing north to south and then you twist your wrist so that your second finger also points the direction the current is flowing. So once you have your first finger in position north to south and your second finger in position showing the current direction, your thumb will be pointing in a certain way. And that where the thumb is pointing actually tells us where the wire is going to move. The thumb stands for the movement. So the thumb will tell us the movement. And the movement is created by the force. So the thumbs basically telling us which direction the force is in and therefore which direction the wire is going to move. Now this will only work correctly if you use your left hand. So that is Fleming's left hand rule. Now imagine you don't just have one straight piece of wire in between the north and south. Imagine that is a coil of wire. If it is a coil of wire, then one side of the wire, the current will be flowing in one direction. And then on the second side of that coil, it's going in the other direction. So when we have this scenario, it means that the force will be up on one side of that coil and the force will be down on one side of that coil. And it makes the coil of wire spin. And that's why we call it the motor effect. Because if we have a coil of wire in between the magnets instead of just a straight piece of wire, it will end up spinning, just like a motor. So, we can actually calculate the size of the force. So we can work out the direction of the force using Fleming's left-hand rule, but we can also work out the size of the force in newtons. To do this, we need to know three things. We need to know how strong the magnetic field is. And that has a special name. It's called the magnetic flux density. So we also need to know how much current is flown in that wire and also the length of that wire. And if we know those three things, we can calculate the force. Because to work out force, we do the magnetic flux density multiplied by the current multiplied by the length of wire. Now, force is measured in newtons. Magnetic flux density can either be measured in tesla or newton per amps. Current is amps and the length of our wire always has to be in metres. So that formula allows us to calculate the size of the force. So where is the motor effect actually used? One of the main uses of the motor effect is in a speaker. So when you're listening to some music or you're listening to a YouTube video in class, the speakers that you're listening to whatever that is through uses the motor effect to create the sound. And this is how it works. So the speaker has magnets inside of it. It's got north and south and north. We have a coil of wire wrapped around one of the poles. 
and that pole and coil of wire are attached to a paper cone. Now it isn't always made out of paper but it's a cone shape and this is how it works. The magnetic field of the coil of wire interacts with the magnetic field of the magnets like we saw earlier. So the two magnetic fields interact with each other and create a force on the wire and it moves the coil of wire in one direction. But we use alternating current in this speaker. So after a short amount of time, the current changes direction. And if the current changes direction, that means the force and the movement of that wire will now go in the opposite direction. And that repeats again. The current then flows the other way and makes the wire move the other way again. And that to and fro creates a vibration. So the to and fro of the wire moving one way, then the next, then the other way, then the next, that vibration there is connected to the paper cone and it makes the paper cone vibrate to and fro as well. And when that happens, it makes the air particles around it vibrate. And that's what a longitudinal sound wave is, vibrating air particles. So that is how we use the motor effect in a speaker. We use alternating current, we have the two magnetic fields, it creates a force on the wire making it move, but the alternating current then changes direction and allows the wire to move in the other direction, creating a vibration in the cone. Let's have a look at the higher content for transformers. Now we have a step up transformers and step down transformers. Step up transformers increase the voltage. Step down transformers decrease the voltage. Let's take a look at them in power stations. So in a step up transformer in a power station, we increase the voltage and we increase it to 400,000 volts. Now, if you're doing the higher paper, you need to know exactly why it does that. Now, it's all to do with an equation, the power equation. Now, the power of the electricity, when it's just been created, has to equal the power arriving at your home. So the power must be the same on leaving the power station and getting to your house. To calculate power, it's current times voltage. So, let's think about this. The electricity leaving the power station goes to a step-up transformer. Now, the step-up transformer, we know, increases the voltage. Now, if the power is not allowed to change, and power is current times voltage, if we increase that voltage, what happens to the current? Well, the current will automatically go down. Now, this is brilliant for us because in a step-up transformer, when we increase the voltage, if the current automatically goes down, that means there's going to be less heat loss. It's going to make the distribution of electricity much more efficient. And this is why.
This is recapping a little bit from the circuits topic. We know as electrons, current, as those electrons flow through the wires, they collide with the ions in the wire. And every time there is a collision, there is friction and that creates heat. Some of the electrical energy is changing into heat. And that's bad because it's wasting energy and less energy will arrive at your house. So, if we increase the voltage, it makes the current go down. And if there's less current, that means there's less collisions between the, those electrons and the ions. And if there's less collision, there's less friction created and less heat is lost. So you can see, just by increasing the voltage, it has this really good effect of decreasing the amount of heat energy wasted, overall increasing the efficiency. Now, as we get to the other side, the step-down transformer, we have to reduce the voltage to make it safe for our house. And our house uses 230 volts. Now we need to know exactly how a transformer works. So a transformer is an iron core and it has the left primary side of the iron core and the right secondary side of the iron core. And the iron core in the middle has a gap that you could put your hand through. So we have a primary coil of wire coming in and wrapping around the primary side of the iron core. We then have a separate wire wrapped around the secondary side of the iron core. And this is how it works. So we have alternating current enters the wire of the primary coil. As the alternating current goes through that wire, it creates, it generates a magnetic field around that coil of wire. We've seen this, haven't we, in an electromagnet. So that alternating current generates a magnetic field. It will actually be an alternating magnetic field because as the, as the current changes direction, the magnetic field will also change direction. Now that magnetic field that's created around that primary coil will cut through the secondary coil. And as it cuts through the secondary coil, it generates alternating current in that secondary coil. But the voltage of it will depend on the amount of coils. Step-down transformers have more coils on the primary and less coils on the secondary. Whereas step-up transformers have less coils on the primary and more coils on the secondary. We can actually use an equation to help us work out, say for example, we know how many coils are wrapped around the primary and we know how many coils are wrapped around the secondary 
we know the voltage going in to the primary. We can use an equation to work out how much voltage is going to be on the secondary. It is called the transformer ratio or the turns ratio. That formula is the voltage in the primary divided by the voltage in the secondary is equal to the number of coils in the primary divided by the number of coils in the secondary. So if we know three of those factors, we can work out the missing value. So just to recap, transformers change the voltage, step up transformers, reduce heat loss because the current goes down, which means there's less collisions, less friction, less heat. Transformers are made up of a primary and a secondary side. A step up transformer has more coils on the secondary, but a step down has less coils on the secondary. Alternating current must be used in a transformer. It creates an alternating magnetic field, which cuts through the secondary coil, generating a voltage. And we can work out the number of coils or the voltage using the turns ratio equation.